Right. Let there be lights. There it is. See, we didn't plan that. That's just the way it works around here. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, before I get into my message, I just want to point out one thing. I know a lot of people are kind of boycotting the NFL because of some stuff that's going on, but that's just an excuse for us to get together, okay? If you want to watch football, there's no problem watching football. Just come to our Super Bowl get-together and just hang out with us. Just it's, it's family, right? We're not boycotting each other. It's just an excuse for us to get together. We'll have, name, we'll have games in the back. We'll have, again, the dessert contest. And by the way, if you're planning on entering the dessert contest, just know that I'm going to enter it too, and I'm bringing a big plate of bacon. So, bam, you can just pin the first place on me right now. And the rest of you are scrapping for second place. So, but that's, but that's okay. That's all right. Maybe I'll just unofficially enter. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, hey, um, I'm so glad that you're here. Guys, I, I think that I have a message that God really put on my heart. And I think it's on the hearts of a lot of us right now because I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback. And one of the great things about being a smaller church, about being and independent is that we can react to things that happen in our community. And there have been a lot of things happening in our community over the last week, last weeks, last months, um, that really cause some of us to have questions. They cause some of us to have questions about who's really in charge. Is, is evil winning? Okay, so I want to, we're going to address that here today. Um, and I think it's important that it does tie in with an understanding of what we've been doing. So, you know, if you've been here, this is week four of Discover Community Church. Yeah, we made it this far, right? So, but in the first few weeks, we talked about, we worked our way basically through our mission statement. So on week one, we talked about James 1.22, which says to be doers of the word. Okay, week two, we talked about 1 Corinthians 2.7, uh, but to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Okay, and then the third week, last week, we talked about 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And so as we look at things that have happened recently, and I'm talking specifically about the, the ambush and the murder of, uh, of Zachary Parrish, Officer Zachary Parrish, and then Officer Heath Gum just, just this last week, it's easy to look at things like that and start having questions. You know, where, where is God during all this? And it could seem like evil is just taken over, like just evil is just blossoming, and it's more and more out there. And it causes us to sometimes question, how powerful really is God, or more accurately, how powerful really is the devil? Okay, because God doesn't cause these things. But sometimes neither does the devil. And I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. The devil is more than happy to let us ascribe to him all kinds of power to do all kinds of things and to take over control and to cause things to happen. Now, he does lie, he's a thief, and he's a deceiver, okay? But he doesn't cause people to do things. People still make bad choices. It doesn't mean evil's winning. It doesn't mean the devil is in control, okay? God is in control, God is the one who's in control. God can take anything that happens, the good and the bad, and he can use it for our good, for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And we have that assurance. But that doesn't mean that when things like that happen in our community, it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean that there isn't very real hurt and anger sometimes. Sometimes there's anger directed specifically at God. How could you let this happen? When you look at families and children who are left without a father or without a mother, depending on the case, you start questioning, where is God in all this? Okay, And I'm not here to answer the global question right now today of where is God and why do these things happen. But I do want to tell you that it's no mistake that we have such a high percentage of law enforcement officers here at this church and a high percentage of military, both former and ex and current military here at this church. I think we have such a high percentage of those people because they have the heart that embodies all those scriptures that I just read to you. They are doers of the word. 
They are gifted by God to do what they are called to do. And they do it gladly and selflessly in the service of others. They don't do it for pay. Okay, if you know any police officers or anybody who's in the military, you know that they don't do it for the fat paycheck they get at the end of the month. They don't do it for the accolades and the respect that come their way as they walk down the street in their uniform. In fact, nine times out of ten, it's the opposite. They don't do it for that. You know why they do it? They do it because that's how God made them, and that's who God made them to be. And the best officers, the best military people, the best servants in that capacity, they're there because God called them to be there, and they wouldn't do anything else, and they couldn't do anything else because it's who they are. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. So in light of all those things that are going on, I think it's appropriate to talk about what God has to say about those who willingly put themselves out into harm's way on our behalf. People that they will probably never meet, people who half the time reject what they have to offer and their help, but that doesn't stop them from putting themselves in that place. But what does God say about that? Here's what God says about that. Now, as I was praying about this, there's tons of scripture that talks about servants of God. There's tons of scripture that talk that are applicable to people in that situation. But here's the one that God put on my heart. It's this. It's Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as I prayed this through, God just kept reaffirming that, that that one scripture embodies everything that he wants us to know about his servants, about his servants, again, the peacemakers who put themselves in that place. So first, before I go into that, I want to give you a little context of where this comes from, okay? This is from the Gospel of Matthew, okay? And it is, it is a little section called the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And the Sermon on the Mount was taught by Jesus Christ, and it is well-known, widely known, as the most famous sermon ever. It's also regarded in secular circles, okay, psych- psychology and sociology circles. Uh, I took sociology class at, at uh, college last semester, and they were talking in depth about the Sermon on the Mount and about the things that, that Jesus taught there and the way that he taught. So it's widely regarded as, as the single most... Um, insightful and, and, uh, and impactful sermon that was ever given, okay? So that's what we're talking about when we talk about Sermon on the Mount, and it was just a little section, but here's, here's some context. Jesus himself is the one who taught that, and he's traveling around the region known as, the, as Galilee, okay? It kind of surrounds the Sea of Galilee over in Israel, and he's, Jesus is traveling this area preaching with his disciples, Okay, so they're following him around, and he's going town to town, village to village, house to house, and he's, and he's preaching. Jesus is just preaching the word. And as he goes, he starts, it starts to gather steam, and people start to figure out, like, who is this guy? I heard my neighbor heard him speak yesterday, and it was, and it was really cool. So where, where is he? Oh, he's going to be over in that place today. Let's go over there. So everywhere Jesus travels, it takes just a few minutes, and all of a sudden, a crowd starts to gather, okay? So he's, he's not driving around in a chauffeured limo, okay, and sleeping in, in a Best Western. He is walking. He's walking everywhere they go, and he's a lot of times, they're sleeping outside. Sometimes they sleep in people's homes, but, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work, and preaching is a lot of work, and he's doing this 24-7, and he's walking around. So he gets to the point where he just kind of Needs, needs a little break from it. So Jesus, at one point, Scripture says, he looks around and he sees the crowds gathering, and he says, guys, let's, let's go. Let's, let's go up the mountain and just kind of find some space, okay? Scripture does not say that, okay, to be clear. But he, says, he sees the crowds and he says, let's, let's go up the mountain. Not, not to get away, from, not to escape the people, but just for some time. He needed some time to recover and relax, refresh and just be with the disciples. So he goes up this mountain, and he's only there for a few minutes, and very shortly, Scripture says, a crowd sees him and starts to gather. Okay, so you just picture, like, 
paparazzi and stuff coming around like, there he is, and people are coming out of their houses, and people are coming out of the fields where they're working, and they're coming up, and they're starting to gather where Jesus is teaching. So Jesus sees this, okay? So this is the crowd that he's teaching to. He's teaching to his disciples, and then he's also teaching to just this motley sort of collection of, of Galileans who see and hear what's going on. Half of them are probably like, I don't know where everybody's going, but everybody's going up there. Something's happening, and so they jump in, and they, and they go up there. That's, I'm guessing because that's the dynamic that happens now, right? If there's a line starts to form, people get in it. They don't even know what they're doing. A bunch of people are going one way. They're like, I don't know what's happening. Let's go. I picture that happening here, and all of a sudden, people are just gathered around. Some of them know what they're there for. Some of them don't know what they're there for. But it's to this crowd, then, that Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to preach this message to them. Okay? The disciples have heard most of this at one time or another, but Jesus says, I've got this huge crowd that's gathered around. They don't even know what they're here for, but I know what they're here for, and I know what I'm going to preach to them. And so he preaches them this message. <clears throat> so the Sermon on the Mount actually starts out, the first 12 verses are a section called the Beatitudes. Okay? If you've ever heard of the Beatitudes... And, and the Beatitudes, really, simply, that word just means a state of bliss. Bless you. You okay? <laughs> wow. There's a lot of that going around, Ann. Um, Beatitudes means a state of bliss. And I think that's important to understand because a lot of times we just think of a blessing. But what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, it's 12 verses of him giving us basically an exhortation, saying, stick with it. This is going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be looked down on. It's going to be difficult what you're doing. But blessed are you. And most of them start out, blessed are thee. And he explains the, the characteristics of people who are blessed because they are persevering and they're sticking with it despite the fact that it's not always easy. And so the Beatitudes, meaning a state of utmost bliss, means that if you stick with it, if you stick with what our Lord has called you to do and you walk that Christian walk, it's not going to be easy. You will be persecuted sometimes. It will be difficult. But in that, you will find the state of utmost bliss. I don't think it's any mistake the words that are chosen to describe these things. And so that's, that's where we are. He's exhorting people to stick with it. Okay? And at the very end of the Beatitudes, the very last verse in the Beatitudes is Matthew 5.12, and it reads this. It says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus himself is saying, hey, here's, here's all these things that I want you to do, attributes that I want you to have, ways that I want you to live, but your reward's not here. Just know Nobody's going to pat you on the back and say, job well done. Your reward is in heaven. And I think that's important. So as he's teaching this, again, let's go into who his, audiences, his audience was. I said, as I said, his audience was the disciples, okay? And then it was also this collection of mostly Jewish Galileans who came to gather around. Now, here's something to know about the Galileans. The Galileans were a special kind of people. We've talked about the Corinthians and different things, and some of them were merchants, okay, shopkeepers, uh, businessmen in general, okay? These guys aren't that. <clears throat> These guys are, are a large percentage are farmers, but even the farmers, they are a, a warlike people, okay? They understand battle. They understand wars. Now, I'm not talking Roman soldier war. I'm talking they are used to getting trampled. They are used to getting invaded and having to fight off every tribe and every army that comes through their land. They're used to having to fight. And so they're kind of a rough crowd, right? And that's who Jesus is teaching to. The interesting thing is that it's to this audience that Jesus starts preaching about being blessed by having a nature that's opposite of what their nature is. How many of you know that Jesus likes to take our apple cart and flip it over every chance that he gets? So it's to these warlike Galileans, and in fact, Josephus, if you've heard of Josephus, he's a Roman historian, he's also a Jew, and it was his job to record as accurately as possible the, the goings-on, the, the historical things, but then also the, the people, 
to describe the people. And here's what Josephus himself writes about the Galileans. The Galileans were always able to make a strong resistance on all occasions of war. For the Galileans are inured to war. Inured just means they're raised in it. It's what they do. To war from their infancy. Nor has the country ever been destitute of men of courage. So Josephus is saying, hey, this, this, in fact, in one occasion, they have an opportunity. They're in a battle. The Galileans are in a battle, and they're partnering with another tribe. And the other tribe is offered a truce. Like, hey, we can, we can end this battle right now. They're offering us a truce. And the Galileans say, no, we're not accepting any truces. We're going we're gonna to fight to either the death or to victory. That's the group. Okay, just keep that in mind. That's the group of people that Jesus is teaching to when he teaches the Beatitudes. Okay, so we go back into Matthew 5, 9. If we could pop that back up on the screen. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Now let's break that apart into the pieces that I think are important for us to realize. Number one, blessed. Okay, blessed. What does that mean? We talked about that before in the last couple weeks, to be Blessed in this instance is to be able to use your gifts, to use who God has made you to be in the service of others, in the selfless service of others. You're not asking for reward. You're not asking to be paid for it. You're not asking for a pat on the back. Your reward and your blessing is to use who God has made you to be and to use that in service of others. That's what he means when he says blessed. Not by using them for you, but by using them for others. And specifically, using them to make Christ known. That's what the blessing part of that means. So, blessed are the peacemakers. The next part of that is peacemakers. What is a peacemaker? Okay? When I think of peacemakers, I like history. So I think of the old, you know, the peacemaker pistol that they used to carry in the Old West, you know? I've always wanted one of those. But... That's what I think of as a peacemaker, but that's not really what it is. Peacemaker is very clearly different from being peaceful. Okay, being peaceful generally talks about being passive. Okay, if you're peaceful, you're passive. You, you shy away from a fight. You don't, want, you don't want any conflict. Okay, and it's extreme. It's pacifism, right? But that's being peaceful. A peacemaker is different. A peacemaker is active. A peacemaker actively uses their gifts and who God has made them to be in order to make Jesus known. It's an active term. It's acting forcefully on others if necessary. And that's who God has made a peacemaker to be. He has given you the gift to act forcefully if need be on others. It is not to be passive. But there's some caveats that go along with that, and I'm going to talk about them. A couple verses up in the Beatitudes, the, the, in verse 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, you've heard that, right? And when I hear the term meek, what used to come to my mind before I studied this out, what used to come to my mind is those of you who are my age or, or close to it might remember the comic books on the back page would be the Charles Atlas ad, Right? And it was the guy getting sand kicked in his face by the bully and the little skinny guy who just, you know, he gets beat up until he goes and works out and now he can fight for himself. I used to think of that as meek, the typical meek, you know, passive Christian who just lays down as a doormat and just lets people walk all over him, okay? That, in my mind, that was meek. That's not what the Bible says about meek, and that's not what the word meek means, The word meekness or meek means power under control. It means power under control. So that means you are powerful. You are who God made you to be. And if you're a peacemaker, God made you powerful in spirit to be able to do what he's called you to do. But that also means you know how to control it. That insinuates strength and power but with the discernment of being able to control it, okay? Not every police officer, not every member of the military is well-suited to this. So when I say a peacemaker, 
I'm referring specifically to those who have that spirit of meekness, okay? Every officer that I've met, again, police, military, man, woman, it doesn't matter. Those who do their job well don't want to do their job. They would be happiest walking around all day long never having to do a thing. They're not seeking trouble. They're not seeking confrontation. But God made them incapable of walking away from it. And that's who the Lord made them to be. That's what a peacemaker is. Power under control. This other quote that I read, this is a man's peaceful character forcefully exerted outside of itself. A true peacemaker has a peaceful character, but also a forceful one, and is able and willing to discern when to exert that outside of themselves. Biblically, in biblical history, it means this, someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. That's what a peacemaker does, right? That's what they do. Here's what I want you to know. This is important. Biblical peace, when we see the word peace in the Bible, it is not conflict avoidance. Biblical peace is not conflict avoidance. It is based on justice and righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, okay? And God is our ultimate peacemaker, yes, but he uses his instruments here on earth that he has specifically gifted to accomplish those things on his behalf. Peacemakers aren't just accidental. They don't just show up. They were made to be that from birth, and they were called to be that. That's why they're here. So the next part of this, the last part of that, you don't have to put it back up, is they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. That import, it's important to look at that word a little bit, what that means. Sons of God is, is three words to encompass the one word that was in the original Greek, which is hyos. Okay, and that one word, sons of God, and what it means, if you remember Greek, Greek and Hebrew, those kind of languages are very rich languages. So one word paints a picture of character, paints a picture of who you are. Okay, and this word is no different. This word, this word hyos, means um, those who share the same nature as God. So to be called a son of God means you share his nature. His very nature. And his nature, God's nature, is peaceful. His nature is loving. But if necessary, it is strong. And it can be violent if necessary. It's certainly not passive. And so a true peacemaker is called a son of God because they share his nature. The ability to bring it when necessary and the knowledge to know when. That's what that is. By the way, just so that you know, I always pick the New American Standard, NASB. That's the translation that I typically use. A lot of translations, it's not better or worse, it's just understanding, they tend to wash out any gender-specific language. Okay, So a lot of translations will, will say, they shall be called children of God. Say it's non-gender-specific. The Bible specifically states, and that word, hyos, means son of God of God. But here's the cool thing. That word in the Bible is not gender specific. That very same word is used later in Galatians specifically to talk about women. So a son of God exhibiting his character can be a man or a woman. Okay, I just want to point that out. It's not just men. Even though it says sons of God, that means you exhibit his very character. In his very nature. You can't be a peacemaker if you are not peaceful in nature. You have to have that nature. So that's what that is. In fact, Matthew Henry's commentary, it's one of the biblical commentaries that I used to study from a lot. He had a really cool quote, and I want to read this, about peacemakers. He says this, the peacemakers are happy. They love and desire and delight in peace and study to be quiet. They study to be quiet. They keep the peace that it be not broken and recover it when it is broken. If the peacemakers are blessed, woe be 
to the peace breakers. I love that. Here's some things I want you to know about peacemakers. Number one, peacemakers were uniquely made for their role in the body. They were made, we talked about last week, made from birth. God had a plan for each one of us and gifted us uniquely to accomplish that plan here on earth. And so peacemakers don't just decide they're going to be peacemakers. They are uniquely made by God for that purpose. Second thing, uh, or, yeah, second thing, they're uniquely gifted. So their gifts, that combination of power under control, meekness, but then also the discernment to not be a bull in a china shop, okay? To not create more damage, to, you, to know, to have that discernment of when to use it and when to not use it. That is unique to them, and they are gifted by God with that understanding. The next thing, they are blessed to use their gifts in the service of others. As I said before, they don't do it for their own accolades, okay? They do it because they are servants in the truest sense of the word. Servants willing to put their lives on the line for us. Willing to stand in the gap for us and risk the ultimate sacrifice for people who half the time don't want their help. I'll admit there are times when I'm driving down the road and I'll be, I'm not paying attention, I'm listening to the radio and I look up and I see a police car sitting off to the side. And I glance back at my speedometer and I go, this is a 35 and I'm doing 50. My first thought is not, I'm going to be transparent, my first thought is not, thank goodness he's there to witness this. (laughs) That's not what goes through my head. But you know what, I'm thankful that they are there. I'm thankful that they answer the most mundane calls knowing that this could escalate into a life, a life or death situation. The other day, just to, I didn't tell this story last night. The other day, I was uh, running some errands, and I stopped in at a 7-Eleven. I was going to get a coffee. Um, I stopped in, I was getting a coffee, and standing in line in front of me was a Littleton police officer. Uh, a woman, it was striking because she was like 6'4", and, and it looked like she could pick me up and throw me around. <laughs> but she's, she's, buying, she's buying a coffee, and she's buying a snack, a little bag of chips. And I just kind of like, okay, she's buying a bag of chips. Didn't think much about it. She leaves before me, only 30 seconds before me. I pay for my coffee, and I get in my car, and I turn out, and I'm driving down the road, And I don't drive 100 yards before I see her. She's pulled somebody over, and and she's getting out of her car. And in that moment, I just saw this picture of sitting on the console of her cruiser. She's got her her coffee, and she's got her little snack, okay? And she probably just wanted to go find a quiet place to just enjoy her snack and, and drink her coffee. But something presented, I'm sure she wasn't looking for it, something presented and she said, I have to do, I have to do what I'm called to do. And she steps out of her car and approaches this other vehicle and I was just driving by so I didn't see the whole story unfold. But here's what the Lord said to me. In her mind, this could be the last act she ever does. And she's doing it anyway. It would have been very easy to say, I've got hot coffee, and I just opened my bag of Fritos, and, and, and I'm, just gonna, I'm just not even going to see what that is, and I'm just going to drive down. But a peacemaker is not capable of doing that. A peacemaker says, regardless of what's going on with me, I have a job to do, and this is what God has made me to be. And so she gladly stepped into that situation. That's what a peacemaker does. The last thing about peacemakers, they're doers of the word. Okay? That doesn't mean if you talk to any officer, if you talk to any member of the military, that all of a sudden, you know, they're going to pull out their Bible and say, well, here's the scripture I've been living today, and they're the most pious, you know. That's not what a peacemaker is. Some of them are, but they're no different than the rest of us. The difference is that they stand in the gap for us, and they do it gladly. When Scripture says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and then love, to one, love one another as yourself, they show the ultimate love 
to us by standing in the gap for us, by standing in harm's way. In fact, Jesus says this in John 15, 13. I think we've got that. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That doesn't mean they go into every day saying, I'm going to do this, but they're ready. They're ready if that should call. And that doesn't matter if they're military serving on a ship somewhere, if they're on an army base somewhere, wherever they happen to be, and it doesn't matter what their job is. Their mindset is, if necessary, I will be there. And if necessary, I'll put myself in harm's way. There is no greater love than that. And God has uniquely gifted them with that ability, and he has given us the gift of having them in our presence having them be a part of this church, having them be a part of our community, knowing full well that their reward is not here on earth. Jesus says, and not Jesus, this is actually another quote. I like history, so I read historical quotes a lot. This is a quote from 1781. It's Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin is writing a letter to John Adams. And I don't know the context of this. I just have the quote, and the quote says this. Blessed are the peacemakers is, I suppose, for another world. In this world, they're frequently cursed. How true is that? All we see on the news is police overstep their bounds, police brutality, this, that. The military shouldn't be in this country. What are we doing there? All these things. Okay, those are questions for the leadership. Those are questions to ask of our political leaders. Those are questions to ask... Uh, of the the mayor of the city or the police chief or the governor, there are questions for those. Our response to someone who is willing to stand in the gap and put their life on the line for us should be one of love and respect. I don't care if they're writing you a ticket. They don't know that you weren't going to shoot them when they walked up to your door. They don't know that, and yet they did it for a piddly 10 miles an hour over the limit, which is what we're thinking in our heads, right? What they're thinking is, I have a job. It's my job to enforce the laws of this country, this city, wherever we are. And they're walking up, not having any idea what they're walking into. And they do it day after day, all day long. Guys, they demand our respect. They demand our support and our prayers. Now, when I say they demand it, they won't ask for a thing. They won't ask for a thing. In fact, I did this last night, and I'm going to do it again today. As I wrap up this message, they're going to hate this. Just telling you that right now. They're going to hate this. If you are in the military, or if you are a police officer, or you are the spouse of one, I'd like you to raise your hand. Spouse, girlfriend, something closely connected to. I want you to raise your hand. Now, what I want to do, I have our prayer team is in the back, and they're scattered around, and they saw those people who raised their hands. I would like our prayer team to come to those people who raised their hands and just put a hand on their shoulder. Yeah, if you could just raise your hand one more time so that we could see. Okay. And everyone else, if you could, if you see hands, if you see people, just just stretch out a hand towards them. We're going to pray over them right now. Okay, because they will never ask for it. And one thing the enemy likes to do is the enemy likes to isolate us, especially those who are officers or, or, or in the military themselves, they don't want to raise their hand and get prayer. They don't want to tell people what they're going through. And so the enemy isolates that. He uses their very character of selfless giving to isolate them to a point to where they don't want to ask for help. And so they sit on an island by themselves many times, not able to talk to anybody, not able to get prayer, not able to get support, and feeling like somehow there's something wrong if they do ask for that. And I know that's their nature, but we're not allowing that nature to stop us from praying for them today. So would you join me in this? Heavenly Father, I just lift your servants up to you right now. 
Lord God, we thank you that they are here with us. You have placed them in this body, in this family, number one, to protect us. First and foremost, to protect us. But also as a reminder that there is evil in this world. And this evil needs peacemakers. Our Lord will confront this evil and our Lord will be victorious. But he uses these men and these women and their families to surround us in that safety so that we are free to worship you wherever we are. So that we are free to go about our days and not have to worry about that because you have sent these people and you have gifted them to be who they are, selfless servants. You've sent them to us. So God, we just thank you for who they are. We pray protection over them. We pray that your warring guardian angels would surround them every moment of every day and every place that they go, that they would never have a time sitting in their car late at night, sitting in an office somewhere, feeling like people have forgotten about them, feeling like people don't care about what they do. Lord God, I just pray that every moment that the enemy would want to speak that to one of these people, that God, you would flood their minds with the knowledge of who they are and that you would give them peace as they walk through their day. They wouldn't be afraid of what was about to happen. Their families wouldn't be afraid of what was happening to their loved ones while they were away, but that they would know that they were firmly in the palm of your hand, God. And that, Lord, they were gifted and they were made for this. So walking away from this responsibility, from avoiding this responsibility, is not who they are, and it's not who you've called them to be. So, Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for their sacrifice and for their willingness. And, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of their families who give them up to us every single day. They share them with us knowing that it could be the last time they do that. Lord, I pray for peace. I pray for just the knowledge of peace over all of our peacemakers so that as they go about their jobs, as they go about their calling in your kingdom, God, that they would walk secure in who they are and they would feel your very presence with them every step of every day and they would never feel alone. And then lastly, God, I just pray that they would be reminded of these people and this family and this body who are praying for them and who are lifting them up here today, that that prayer would surround them like a blanket that they could wear everywhere they went and just know that this entire body is around them. Lord, we just thank you for them. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. to a time of communion right now. And what greater opportunity to share just our thanks for who Jesus is. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he allowed us access to the Father. He allowed us access to the gifts who make us capable of walking in God's purpose. So as we go into communion, we have a couple ways to do it. We've got Self-serve at the crosses. So if you're new here, just explain it for a second. At the crosses, we have self-serve stations, okay, where there's grape juice and there's bread and there's gluten-free crackers. You just dip them in and take communion. You can do that yourself. Up front, we'll have two stations, one over here, one over here where we'll, we would be happy to serve you. We'll have wine and then the bread and crackers as well. well let's do this just with thankful hearts who God has surrounded us with. And, and I want to bring up, uh, we're going to bring up Dave Schmidt right now who has a word just to lead us in communion. God, I'd like to thank you for the peacemakers, Father, and thank you for our son Jesus and everlasting life. I'd like to share some, some of God's word. I'm reading from Luke 22, 10 through 20. So he replied, as you enter a 
the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus has told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So let us take communion in remembrance of Jesus.
thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving your life for us. I just want to welcome you. This is a church that's just to stand and worship if, you, if you'd like to. If you want to just continue to sit in his presence, if that's how you enjoy worshiping best. So I invite you to stand, though, as we just lift our voices together. presence, invite him to take us deeper, invite him to fill our hearts, minister to us, feel free to reach out to someone who's in the back who's ready to pray, have our prayer team ready, just allow God to, if you want to pray for someone, just continue that prayer that we prayed as a family over our peacemakers. We're all called to be peacemakers in some way, and if there's a situation you want to pray over, this would be a great time to do that. Our Father is a peacemaker, and there was nothing that kept Him from making peace with us. And Romans 5, 1 says, therefore we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't tear down. Lie you won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Love is pursued us. We 
are found in you Let's just declare one more time There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Let's declare it no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Snow you won't set out, lie you won't set out, coming after me. Hallelujah. Well, thank you. Thank the Lord for loving us so much. We're going to continue just to worship, but we want to just bless you at this time allow you to gather your stuff if you need to get going, but we want to just create some space for people to hang out and continue to pray, continue to worship. So we just invite you to this time. Thank you for joining with us. Continue to carry that presence of God with you throughout the week as you go. Amen. Reckless love of God. 